Um, I got an opportunity to go visit my, um, my wife and kids. We're already in Sacramento. I drove up to Sacramento. Uh, we stayed there for five days. We drove over to San Francisco. We rented an apartment and got an um, opportunity while we were in San Francisco to spend some time with Justin Anderson and his wife and family. And uh, it was a great time to see them and to be with them. And they send you guys uh, their blessings. And what I would say as a church, if we continue to be praying for Justin and Emily as they're uh, doing the groundwork of planning a church in San Francisco and just being there for the three days, it's not going to be easy um, on, on so many levels. But it was just one practical level was children. For whatever reason, the city of San Francisco and and their team has experienced this as well, they don't really like kids a whole lot. I've never seen a city people that just don't like kids. Usually when you're on the bus, people see your kid and they go, oh, wow, a little cute kid. We're in the bus, they're just like, come on, get out of the way, right? And so there's this, this weird thing with kids, and most of the, uh, the team members there have families and young kids, and they really want to share the gospel there. And so just be praying for them that God will continue his work uh, with them in San Francisco. And so um, it was a great trip. I was glad I was gone, but I'm glad that I'm back to come to this awesome weather. Who doesn't like humidity? Um, and so good to be back in Arizona. But Daniel chapter 4, let's get the work. Um, Just on a review, some some of you guys are here for the first time. Um, Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3, for the most part, has been about King Nebuchadnezzar and his relationship um, over the exiles. The exile meaning, in our case, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What we saw in chapter 1, these young teenagers were ripped away from their country, and they were brought into the land of Babylon. While in Babylon, they were given different names, and they were told to worship the king, and yet they refused to, because they knew that God had sovereignly taken them out of Jerusalem, placed them in Babylon to seek the peace or shalom of that city. Um, in chapter 2, what we saw is King Nebuchadnezzar gets confronted by God in a dream. I'm ultimately telling Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom would not last forever, but that God's kingdom would last forever. And in chapter 3, Vince led us in the time of seeing three young Hebrew men um, standing up for their faith, being thrown in the fire furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, and that God saves them. In chapter 4, there's a transition from Nebuchadnezzar um, relating to the exiles, and far more we see God and his sovereignty relating to Nebuchadnezzar. And so chapter 4, um, just to kind of give you an overview, is that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream again. In this dream, he is told by God that he, because of his pride, is going to lose his mind and he's going to be living in the wilderness for a period of time as an animal. He will act like an animal, he will eat like an animal, he will run around like an animal until he realizes that God is the most high and that he's most sovereign. And so that's what happens. Now, after that is what Nebuchadnezzar writes here. He actually writes chapter 4. And what I believe chapter 4 is, is after Nebuchadnezzar, for whatever, how long it was that he was acting like an animal, um, I'm sure people at that, that time thought something's wrong with the king, right? If our king is acting like an animal, that's a bad thing. Well, he gets his senses back, and I think he writes and says two things. One, I want to tell you guys that I'm back to my senses, and two, let me tell you what God did. And so it's some, some, in some ways, it's a testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar to write to all nations and to all people that it says at the beginning of chapter 4 to let them know what God did. And as we listen to Nebuchadnezzar's life, as we listen to his testimony about what God did, there's four things that I want us to be able to see about pride, because he was a very prideful man. First, what we'll see is the restlessness of pride the revelation of pride, the result of pride, and lastly, the remedy of pride. But before we get into that, would you guys bow your heads Let's ask God by the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open up your word and we can understand its meaning. We thank you, Father, for the many men and women, Lord, who have labored over this word to give us better understanding. We thank you mostly for the Holy Spirit and ask that the Holy Spirit would would illuminate this word. And so, Father, 
in this room, because we are humans, we struggle with pride. We may not be to the level that Nebuchadnezzar is. We never, never get to that point, and yet there's something about the human heart, Father, that doesn't, does not want to acknowledge you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would humble us. We ask for your spirit to guide us, for your spirit to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there's a, a psychology professor at the University of Cornell, and one of the things that he studies is he, he witnesses and studies our ability um, or lack of ability to assess, our, um, to assess ourselves. Essentially, what he has noticed, and this has come as no surprise to us, is that when looking at Americans, most Americans have a terrible um, ability to assess their, their attributes, meaning most, Americans think they're, most of Americans think they're better than average at everything. Um, and he goes, but... And I know you guys get this because you guys are really smart. And most of you guys are above average. Is that someone's got to be below average? Everyone can't be above average. Okay, just simple math there, right? And he says it's amazing. No matter what you ask Americans, he says if you ask them uh, questions like, um, are, "Are you more? Are you more ethical? Are you more generous? Are you more giving? Um, are you taller? Even to the point, or are you more likely to get the flu?" Nope. Um, I'm not than the average person. And he says, this is ridiculous. No one can assess themselves. Everyone thinks they're better. And yet when you look at math scores, when you look at scores, we are not nearly as good as what we think. Um, there's no empirical evidence that, that we are as good as we think we are. And he, and he says, even in this research, it's a very phenomenal article, a phenomenal, phenomenal, that was a word that I made up, um, phenomenal article. And he says that there is no differences between race, gender, or age. Meaning if you're old or young, black or white, or a male or female, Everyone thinks like this. You naturally think, I naturally think that I'm better than average. And when you think of it, when's the last time, when's the last time you said, oh, oh, I'm very below average? No. You say, oh, I'm not the best, but, you know, I'm better than him, right? I mean, there's a sense where you're better than somebody. At, at, the, at the core of this is that we, we do a terrible job at self-assessing ourselves. And, and underneath it all is because you and me, every single one of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, because you're an American, because you're human, because you're breathing, it's pride. We naturally think we're better than somebody, and we desire to be better than somebody. What we see in Nebuchadnezzar, he was better than everyone. And so if there was someone that would be the most prideful person, it would be Nebuchadnezzar. We would do wise and looking at what God revealed to him to learn something about ourselves. So here's the first thing we see about pride, is that there is a sense of restlessness that comes with it. Let me, let me read verse, verse 4 in chapter 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, and the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. And so what happens is just like in chapter 2, he calls in the magicians and the astrologers and the wise men to come in to be able to interpret his dream. And they can't interpret the dream. Um, what, what we have here is Nebuchadnezzar saying, life was good for me. He, he, he says, I was at ease. Or if you have an NIV translation, he says, I was content and I was prospering, meaning I was the best at what I was doing. And when I say restlessness, there's a sense where you can be doing really good and yet it's not enough. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was the best. We know biblically um, he was a political leader and a really good one. He had conquered several nations, even conquered Jerusalem, um, God's chosen people. And not just conquered Jerusalem, 
But while in Jerusalem, he went into the temple and he stole the vessels, which at that time, what that meant is, is when you stole from a particular God's temple, what it was indicating was that you were dominating or conquering that God. So in his mind, I conquered Jerusalem, I conquered Yahweh, I'm Nebuchadnezzar. And also what we know from extra biblical resources and historical facts is that Nebuchadnezzar, this particular Nebuchadnezzar at this time, was not someone who just conquered, but he led his army. I mean, he led from the front. He didn't just give, give orders, but he was actually fighting. And not just was he a warrior, but he was also one who understood beauty and um, aesthetics because he was a part of creating one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and that was the Hanging Gardens. The, the, the way the story is told is that his wife was homesick, and he says, look, I'm going to make something that people will love for centuries, right? This guy was good at everything that he did. And, you know, people like that, they teach us something. Um, people that are, that are good at their professions, people that are good at whatever they put their hands to, um, these people teach us something when they, when they get to the top of the metaphorical ladder. And what they usually teach us is, it's not enough. Because even though he had all of that, he's tossing and turning in his bed. Some of the, some of the greatest men and women that I know that lead organizations, that lead companies, they're restless. And part of it is they can never turn it off. They may be good at what they do, but they never turn it off 24-7. That's all they think about. If, if I'm just being transparent before you all, one of my biggest fears of taking over for Justin had nothing to do with preaching, had nothing to do with these things, not because I thought I was great, but because I knew. I knew my heart. It's because naturally I think I am the most prideful person that I know because I know me. I'm, 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 I'm the type of person that will never turn it off. In fact, the accountability team that's around me in here in Tempe, as well as the leadership team in Redemption, one of the main questions that they ask is, are you turning it off? Because I have a hard time. I'm constantly thinking about it. You would think that more responsibility would lead you to, uh, to pray on your knees, Lord, I need help. But no, you're doing things. Um, one, of, one of the pastors goes, hey, I got an email from you the other night at 2 a.m. What are you doing at 2 a.m.? Emailing you, right? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what I was doing. There's, there's a sense, that's pride. It's saying, God, I know you're not going to grow your church. I know you don't care about your church, so I'll do this. And you, you ask anyone who's, who's leading anything, they cannot turn it off. That's pride. And again, what they show us is, that's not, it's not enough. It's never enough. Entertainers tell us this. Celebrities tell us this. Athletes tell us this. They, they, they do the best, and we go, wow, that's amazing. And they show you by their lives, sometimes by their words. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know why? Because the human soul longs and has desires to pour itself, all of itself, into something that would ultimately satisfy. And so we try it with relationships. We, we try it with the thought of relationships. We, we try it in business and making money. We, we try it in education, we try it in art, we try it in anything, and we come up empty. For a moment, it lasts for sure. It's good. It's a, it's a great ride, but it never ultimately satisfies. And so we become restless over and over and over again. It's the picture of the ladder. Sometimes God allows some of us, we never get a chance to get on the ladder. Whatever, whatever ladder we want to climb, we just look at it. Um, some of us, we get to climb halfway up. And, and then some people get to get to the top, and what they say is, wrong building. Wrong building. I was at a wedding about three years ago of a best friend of mine, and a um, guy I grew up with and best man in my wedding, and uh, uh, he played college football at UNLV, which is in Las Vegas. And so he had his wedding, though, obviously, uh, not in Las Vegas, but in Pittsburgh, and a good friend of his from Las Vegas was in the wedding. And when I got there, I knew I was going to be the, the only person there that, that um, was a Christian, and, and, um, but I, you know, I'd have a good time. And, and I, I got there, and this guy, his friend, let's just say his name was Tony, 
because his name was Tony. And so when, when, we, when, I, when I got there, Tony, I see Tony, and, and Tony, Tony to me, at first I'm like, I can't stand this guy. I'm not going to, in fact, I would have said I hate this guy, but I'm saved. I would have never, I would never say that, but he just bothered me. Everything else about him bothered me. He was a guy who made a lot of money. And know how I know? Because he told me. He was a guy who had lots of women. Know how I know? Because he told me. All right, it's just over. He ran um, a nightclub, a particular nightclub in Las Vegas that people don't, don't, um, we're close. And so he, he, ran this, he ran this particular nightclub, and he just would talk about all the celebrities that he knew, and it was just making me sick. Well, after the first two nights, I told my buddy Ryan, I'm like, dude, Tony, I might, I might have to lose my salvation for a minute. God, get Tony, and then come back to Jesus, because this dude is, this dude is, this dude, that's not theologically accurate. Um, this, <laughs> this guy's bothering me. The night before the wedding, all the guys were getting ready to go out, and Tony asked me, hey, uh, are you going to go out tonight, or are you going to just stay in the hotel? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. In fact, I'm a pastor. I'm going to stay in my hotel and pray and speak in a few tongues, and so that's what, <laughs> so there, he goes, he goes, man, I would love if you would stop in my room and have a conversation with me. And I'm thinking, all right, Tony, I will. I had no idea what would come next. We get in the room, and he said, hey, earlier today, um, someone was asking you about your life. He goes, in fact, I know I don't know you, but Ryan's told me how he used to come visit you in Arizona, and, and he told me about a lot of the stories and, and how much fun you guys had, and, and now you're just this different person. And I heard you in the car the other day say, you got to a point where you realize, you asked yourself the question, is this it? He goes, how do you get to that moment? And I said, I don't know. I think, I, you know, and I'm trying not to do the whole, like, just throw the Jesus answer in there. And I'm like, well, um, Jesus, right? I mean, I just, <laughs> Jesus got me there, you know? And I said, I just, I had a moment one time, we were at a nightclub, and I just was like, dang, is this it? Like, what happens if I keep going this route? Like, what, if, what, hap- what does success look like here? And I just realized, is, is this it? There's got to be more. And he says, I'm in that same situation. He goes, y- you can relate to me. Um, I make a lot of money. And I get with a lot of girls. I mean, you understand, right? And I go, no, I, I don't. <laughs> keep going, though. I mean, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he says, I know this celebrity. And this celebrity goes, but every morning when I wake up, I think, is this it? He goes, what advice would you give me? What holy advice would you give me? And I said, I'm, I'm gonna be, the only advice I can give you is it could be that God is trying to let you know this isn't it. And it will never be it. He didn't run to Jesus. He didn't become a Christian. I wish he would have. But, but what he was communicating in that moment was, I am restless. I'm doing everything that, that, that I want to do. I'm climbing up that ladder in Ricardo. It is not enough. You know why? We can't pour ourselves into something that will completely satisfy us. In fact, not in this world. There's only one thing that we can pour ourselves in completely. And it's not by climbing the ladder. Isn't that the paradox of the gospel? I mean, it's not about anything that we climb up, but it's about God coming down from heaven in a manger as a baby who lives a perfect life and dies a perfect death for us. And that is the only thing. The gospel is the only thing that we can pour all of ourselves into, all of our money, all of our life, all of our intellect, all of our wisdom, and be completely satisfied, completely satisfied. And I don't care if you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't believe that. It's still true. It's true. Try it. Because if you talk to people in this room that have done that, they will tell you, yeah, it was fun for a moment, but it didn't last. Nebuchadnezzar is the man at this time, historically one of the best political leaders ever, and he's restless. He calls his boys in to interpret his, his dream, and they can't do it. And so we see the restlessness of pride, and, and restlessness won't get us there. What we need, every single one of us in this room, is for our pride to be exposed 
and for our pride to be revealed. And so we see the revelation of pride, and now um, he goes back to Daniel. Now, what it's been 20 to 30 years now from chapter 2 when, since Daniel last interpreted the dream, but he calls Daniel in. Um, verse 80 says, at last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And then he tells Daniel his dreams. Um, in verse 9, he says, O Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in the bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and the top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. He says, I had this dream. I had this dream. Now, what we see now is when it comes to revelation, um, usually in our lives, there's at least four things that happen. One is that we're revealed by God's word. God's words, God's words speak to us. God's people, um, our conscience, and then experience. And Nebuchadnezzar has this. Uh, first, God's word. Um, now he, in his dream, talks about this, this holy one, the watcher, which is an angel. Um, verse 14, after talking about the holy one, he says, He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. This is what he's saying. The angel talked to me. Ultimately, this is God's word. He saw the tree and said, all right, chop it off. Then he says, lop it off. Um, I don't know what you know what lop means, but lop means to be lopped. And no one wants to be um, lopped off, right? I read that. I'm like, dang, dang, don't just get chopped, but get lopped off. You never want that to happen to you. It's a very bad thing, right? And so he reveals to him, this is what's going to happen in the tree. Now, he knows it's him. He knows. He goes, I had a dream like this before. I had a dream before that I saw this statue and Daniel came and Daniel said, no, 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 no. Your kingdom will not last forever. So he's convicted here by God's word, or at least he's re- his, his pride is revealed by God's word. And then what the angel ultimately says to him is, you're going to become a beast. Um, your mind's going to go crazy. And for seven times, ultimately, many seasons, you are going to live in the wilderness. This is what's going to happen to you. And so he knows what's happening. Even though God's word is clear, he sees it. He doesn't receive it. He does not receive it. And God, God's word speaks to us, too, in our pride. And in fact, no need to turn there, but in, pri- in Proverbs chapter 16, um, 16 verse 18, here's what the word of God says about pride. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And in, in light of David Dan- Dan- Dunning's uh, study on us deceiving ourselves, this is what Galatians talks about. Verse six, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I mean, that's what pride is. Pride is thinking you're more than what you really are. But wouldn't it just be okay to go, I- I'm just me. Like, this is just me. This is what you get. Now, I can work hard at me, but this is me. But pride says, no, no, no. I'm better than what I am. P- pride does not look in the mirror. And pride looks in the mirror and goes, looking good. Looking real, like real good, right? <laughs> that, 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 he, and what Jesus, ultimately what, the, what Paul is saying in Galatians is saying, if you think you're more than what you are, you're really nothing. He's not talking about you have no value. You have value in you because you're creating the image of God. But he's saying you're nothing. You're, you, you don't get it. You're clueless. And then lastly, this is uh, in the book of James. And James now quoting from Proverbs, and it's also quoted in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. 
But James chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Therefore, this is what God says. I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Meaning, this is what God says to prideful people, like you and like me. I oppose you. And you know what? Prideful people oppose God. And, and, and pride shows itself in different ways, and we'll get to that in just a second. So God, God's word reveals to us. It should humble us. And then what God also gives to us when it comes to revelation is he gives us God's people. He brings in Daniels of our lives. And so now Nebuchadnezzar goes to Daniel, and here's what Daniel says in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And what he's saying is, Daniel now knows a dream, and he looks at the king and he goes, ooh, this is not going to be good. And the king says, just tell me what it is. Please, Daniel, be honest with me. We all need people in our lives that are, that are be honest with us. And Daniel knows what the dream is, and he goes, okay, king, here, here's what it says. Verse 22, he talks about the tree, and he goes, it's you, O king. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, and your dominion is to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw the watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, and let them be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field to seven periods of time passes over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven among the men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. This is what he says. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, you have power, but there's one who's far more powerful than you, and he is going to make you crazy until you run out into the wilderness. Now, that may not be the exact words that the friend in your life is telling you, but we all need people in our lives that are going to be honest with us. Some of you are here right now. You say, I don't believe in God, but a Daniel brought you here. A Daniel saying, hey, you should come to my church. You should listen to what God has to say to you, or you should listen to what I have to say to you. Take heed to that, because God could be revealing something of himself and of you to, to you. And most of us here who are Christians, we need to encourage Daniels in our life, people who will be honest with us about our pride. You need to be able to tell me, and I should be able to tell you, man, you're, this is not it. This is not living in life of the gospel. This is not living in light of the gospel. Very prideful. And, and, and I say that because this was easily one of the hardest messages in the book of Daniel for me to prepare. The whole time I'm writing this down, pride, this is pride. Tell them about this. Ooh, tell me about this. Um, because my, it's my issue. I, I don't know if you've had this experience. When I became a Christian, I thought, okay, this is going to go away. And it has not gone away. Um, I try. You, you ever try not to be prideful? It's like, the hard, it's like trying to fall asleep. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't happen. As soon as you say, hey, I'm just trying not to be prideful, people go, hmm. Yeah, nice statement, prideful man. Right? There's, there's, a, there's just a sense there. So you need people. I can't, I can't see all my faults. And so you need people surround you that would be honest with you. And so Daniel does that. The other thing that God reveals is not just through God's word of God's people, but it's even through your conscience. Every single person here, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you know something's not right. Like you know every, there's something wrong. You know that there's something missing. There's just something in you that tells you that. And that something is God has given us a conscience. 
to let us know about ourselves. You know you're a prideful person. Um, it may not be as prideful as somebody else, but you're prideful. And usually when people say that, they go, yeah, you know, I'm a pretty prideful person. And then they laugh after, you know, like, I'm pretty prideful. <laughs> you know it, right? There's a sense where, like, you're real prideful about being prideful, which makes no sense at all. And to the Christian, it is a joke. Like, it's a joke for us to be as prideful as we are. Um, I think it's one, it's one of the worst things when I hear people who do not believe in Jesus say, yeah, there's a coworker I have, there's a person that I know, the most arrogant person I know, yeah, he goes to your church. It's like, dang it, what's his name? No, <laughs> but you, you, there, there's a sense of like that, that shouldn't be in us. And yet the, our conscience lets us know. Our conscience lets us know when God is trying to reveal something. I'm, I'm, God is constantly revealing himself through God's people, through God's word, through your conscience, and lastly, through experience. Nebuchadnezzar knew that he was a prideful man. He knew that his kingdom wouldn't last. Daniel chapter 2, um, even though it was about 30 years earlier, and I get it, we can forget dreams and we can forget things. Most of us don't remember what happened. Th- I don't remember anything that happened 30 years ago. I'm 29, so that can be part of it. You know, but you don't, you, you don't, we don't understand what, we don't remember a lot, but to me, I think I would remember, and I think you would remember if you were told by God that, um, that he was going to crush you and, um, and that his kingdom would last forever. He knows that. His experience knows that. And our experience, we have experience in our own life that lets us know about our issues. Someone's told us. We've seen it before. We've hurt people's feelings. We, we, we know what our arrogance and what our pride looks like, and yet we still reject it. We still listen to it and say, no, I'm not going to do it. I've shared this before, but um, one of the most prideful days of my life was um, my freshman year in college when I, when I came here. I went to uh, a Bible study. It was called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and it was at Wells Fargo Arena in the, in the basement there where, um, where the, the basketball team plays at ASU. And actually, Tyler Johnson, who preaches here, was leading it. Um, maybe it had something to do with Tyler leading it. But uh, when I walked out of there, um, I had an on. In my mind, I knew what God wanted. I thought I knew what God wanted, but I also knew what I wanted. And I knew what was back for me in the dorms. I knew the life that I wanted to live, and I knew the life that God wanted me to live. And I looked up to heaven as clear as day and said, God, I know what you want, but I don't want that. I want to live my life. Therefore, I made a deal, I thought, with God, saying, I will never ask for forgiveness. I'll thank you for what you give, but I'm going to do my life. I'm going to live me, and I'm going to do me. And every single night um, that I was coherent, I would say, Lord, thank you for the day, thank you for these things, and then go to sleep. I just rejected it. I rejected the, the, the people teaching to me. I rejected God's word. I knew something wasn't right. There were moments, there, was, there were weekend after weekend when I was in college, I knew something's just not right. This ain't it. And then I rejected it. And then some of you are doing that now. You reject the Daniels of your life. You reject your conscience. Um, and here, I'm not just talking to people who are not Christians. Christians, I'm talking to you. There's so often that we, we just reject the, the guiding and the leading of God's word and of God's spirit and of God's people that we're saying, no, I'm, I'm going to do me. Because we don't see Jesus as Lord all the time. We see him as Lord over our quiet time. We see him as Lord when we pray, and when we come to church, but we don't see him as Lord over the way that we do business or the way that we do relationships or who we date or who we married or how we raise our family. We, we don't see that. And, and, and it just shows itself to be pride because what we're doing in that moment is we're saying, God, no, I have this. I can do this on my own. Um, I can be you. You see, that happened before. In fact, that happened even before God created this world. In fact, the most beautiful angel was Lucifer. We now know him as Satan, that he wanted to be in the place of God. They didn't work well for him. And then when the story started, we see the same thing that happened. When the, when the serpent now, Satan, talks to the woman and talks to, to the man, Adam and Eve, what do they do? Man, we can be like God. 
That, that, that's what put us in the position that we're in now. And so now all of us are in that position. Whenever we try to do opposite um, what God has called us to do, what we're saying to God is, no, thank you. I will be God in this area. And it's extremely prideful. You know what pride will produce in us? Um, at least two things. The first thing it will produce in us is that it would make us feel like we're superior. And now, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was good at everything. Everything he touched turned to gold. We get that. And some of you go, that's not me. Like, I've never been good at anything, right? I'm, I, I'm not good. I mean, I get it. You know, I know you're above average. But, I mean, everyone in here is not going to be Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, our people are not saying, oh, yeah, I rule country. Just like, I don't really. He owned a country. I don't even own a house. I don't own a car. I don't want a toothbrush, right? I mean, so like, there's a, there's, a, there's a sense where we may not be Nebuchadnezzar, but there's something you're good at. There's something you're good at. Because God has given you gifts, there's something that you're good at. You may not be the best at it, but you're better than somebody else. And you know it. Because when you're around that somebody else, there's a sense that goes, yeah, yeah, talk to me. Yeah, 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 that's how it works, right? There's, there's, there's just this sense of pride. And you, you feel better than them. And that's just not in business, and that's just not in, in sports or in art. It's also in religious circles. Um, well, this happens all the time. People, men and women, who have done a great job at keeping uh, their purity. Um, and they, they, have, been, they have, um, have not been sexually active. And when they hear about brothers and sisters of the Lord, theirs in the Lord that have, they go, really? Come on. Get it together. You're, you're insensitive to them because look at me. Look what I've been able to do. I get it. It's hard. Yeah, but look at you. And it's the same way in work. It's the same way in everything that we do. We look down our nose towards people because we think we're better. And, and the truth be told, like, you just are better. I'm not going to say you're not. That would be lies. There's some things you're just better than other people. We are not equal in that sense. We are equal creating the image of God, but some of you are better than others at certain things. That's just the way that it goes. But it doesn't mean that you should be arrogant about it. It doesn't mean that you should walk around as if you did not, as you, as you earned it. And the reason why you don't, you're so superior, and we are so superior, is because we don't understand grace. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, why do, you, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Meaning everything that you have, it was a gift. James 1 says it this way. Every good gift and every perfect gift, whatever that is, it comes from the Lord. Most Christians have a good theology of saving grace. We spent 12 weeks talking about that in the book of Galatians, how God sovereignly saves us in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ by grace. It's undeserved. We get that. Most Christians don't have an understanding of a common grace. And when I say common grace, meaning God reigns on the just and the unjust alike, that he gives gifts to all people, whether they believe in him or not. There are some people you have gifts of, uh, um, we have people at this church that are really good at being dads. Some of you guys are really, really good dads. I watch you when you're kids, and I go, man, you know what? If I can go back to being a kid, I kind of like him being my dad, right? Um, some of you are really good parents. Some of you guys are um, really good at art. Three of you guys are good at sports. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a sense where we have, we have people that are just good at things. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, that's just common grace. However, even those gifts, they come from God. It should humble us. Gifts are, rece are received. We should never go, look how good I am. And you say, wait a minute, Ricardo. You don't understand. I'm smart. I've worked really hard. I got into the business school. Um, I'm in the honors college. I didn't major in BIS. I'm very, very, very smart. Some of you guys got that if you went to ASU. <laughs> That was an athlete degree, by the way. <laughs> um, there, 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 there is a, there, there's a sense where you say, I worked really, really hard. And I'm not going to say you didn't. You did work really hard. But you worked hard with what you were given. And if you see it as grace, you realize that it's a gift. And so when you see people who struggle or you see people who are not as good as you, um, you, you there's a sense of, I, I've, 
I only have what I have because of the Lord. Now, did I work really hard and they didn't? Maybe. But there should be a sensitivity there because I understand God's grace, not just his saving grace, but his common grace. In fact, there's a really good book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I highly recommend it. It's a very, very intriguing book. And the book in itself, what Malcolm Gladwell tries to do is debunk the American myth of the self-made man, meaning that we are who we are because we pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. And so he looks at tons of famous people and says how they got there is not just by being smart and working hard. He looks at the different opportunities and things that happen in their life to get them to where they are. Because he says, listen, I know plenty of people that are really smart and wise and intelligent, and they're not worth a billion dollars. What happened? And what he's trying to say is there's things that happen into their life that they didn't ask for and that they didn't work for. Now, I don't think Malcolm Gladwell um, understands common grace. What I would add to that is because God gave it to him. Yes, you should work hard, but there should be a sense of worship. If not, you will naturally be superior because that's what pride does. On the flip side of that, there's people who are not superior, but there's people who are inferior. On one side, there's people walking around with their head up, like Nebuchadnezzar, look what I have made. We're going to see in verse, in verse 29 and 30, Nebuchadnezzar walks around his palace, goes, look at this kingdom that I built, look at this, right? He, he doesn't do that, but that's what he's kind of thinking, right? <laughs> then there's people who walk around with their head down all the time, and we naturally look at those people and go, wow, they're really humble. No, that's just false humility. Um, it's reverse pride. Because on one side, there's people who are trusting in their ability to do good, and they've done good, and they go, look at me. And this person that walks around with their head down, most of the time is saying, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve it because I didn't do anything, because I'm not good enough. You know, things always happen bad to me. Um, you know people like that. They're constantly complaining or saying, oh, yeah, sure. I'm sure you have a husband. I'm sure you have a spouse. I'm sure you're able to have kids. Nothing good happens to me. And again, it's about your ability. Both are trusting their ability. Both don't get grace. You know why? Because pride is allergic to grace. Grace on both sides says, God has given me all things, I will worship him. On this side, you know what? God is sovereign. He knows exactly what I need. If I don't have a spouse, if I don't have a child, if I don't have the job, if I don't have the right amount of money, I can work hard and ask God to give it to me, but if he doesn't, he knows what's best for me. There's no complaining. There's no sniveling. That, that, that's an understanding of God's grace. But, but pride will get in the way of that all the time. Every single time, pride will get in the way of that. And if we continue to continue to live that path, if we continue like I did, say, God, I'm going to live my way, if we continue to reject the nudging of God's word and his people and experience and consciousness, there's a result that happens. And this is what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 30 says this, as he was walking around his roof, he says this, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my integrity and power as as a royal residence and the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And so what happens, happens. Daniel tries to give him an opportunity in verse 27. He says, hey, man, if you just repent and you walk in God's ways and you treat the poor with the care that you should care, maybe God will lengthen your prosperity. And king, the king says, no way. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And God gives him 12 months, 12 months. He gives him a year to repent. And he says, no. And now he has seven times. And when it says seven times, it's not a specific amount of time as it is. There's many seasons that he will act like an animal, that he would be out in the wilderness running around like a wild ox. Now, I'm not saying that that is exactly what will happen to you. I hope not. But what God will allow, hear me on this. God will do whatever it takes to get the attention of those who he has set his love upon. 
Let's say it again. He will do whatever it takes to get the attention of those in whom he set his love upon, no matter what it is. See, in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he has him act like a fool. And experientially, we act like fools. In our pride, we, we, we act like fools. We walk around thinking we're far more than what we really are. We don't invite the encouragement or the people around us to be honest with us. And even when people are, are around us, this be, we're not honest with each other. And that's what pride will do. It will separate you from God. It will separate you from others, even though you're around it. Even as Christians, you could be around God's teaching and around God's word. You could be leading our seeds. You could be doing whatever it is that you're doing, godly things, and yet you're still arrogant. I say that from experience, and it bothers me. And this isn't just bothering about you. It bothers me about me. Because how can we be Christians? How can we say we see the gospel? How can we sing songs like Amazing Grace? <laughs> I did nothing, but yet I'm a baller, right? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And so God will allow us to do these things to act a fool. You hear people's story. If you can go down the list and hear people's story, you hear these tragic things. Yeah, I felt like when I was 10, this was happening, but I decided to go my own way, and I lost this, or I lost this person, or I had an abortion here, and, and, or I got in this car accident here. You hear the story over and over again because God will do whatever it takes, even if it means he allows you or causes you to act a fool. And for Nebuchadnezzar's case, it took season and seasons and seasons. And some of you here, you're in that season. And there may be another season. And there may be another season. But what I know to be true about the gospel and what I know to be true about God is it won't last forever. It won't last forever. You see, God will do whatever it takes, even if it means it will hurt you. And some of you here go, eh, I don't know about that. Like, I don't believe in a God that will hurt you. I don't, what type of loving God will hurt you? Hear what I'm saying? A loving God. A loving God who cares for you. I have two boys, three and one. There are certain things that I would do by words and by discipline that I will do to, that will cause hurt upon them, whether um, emotionally or even physically. Because when they're doing things that I see that are destructive for their life and they're patterns that they're, they're trying to, um, that need, they need to be broken because of what they're going to be or what they could become if they continue that way, because I love them, I will steer them in the right direction. And our God is a holy, loving Father. And he knows the outcome. He knows the outcome of your pride. He knows the outcome of your rejection. He knows the outcome of you continuously rejecting his Holy Spirit. He knows. And he says, no, I I won't allow that. Because we need to understand the difference between harm and hurt. See, sometimes we think of harm, and harm is not what God does. Harm means try to destroy you or, or damage you. He doesn't do that to those in whom he has his saving love upon. But he will hurt you. Sometimes words hurt. Sometimes when people are honest with you, it will hurt. Um, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, lets us know that God disciplines those he loves because he's a good father. He's active in our lives, so of course he will hurt us. And there's this thought like, oh, no, I don't know if God will do that. Yes, he will. Look at He turned Nebuchadnezzar into a freaking animal, right? I mean, he'll do whatever. He will do whatever it takes. And people say, well, no, 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 because God's a gentleman. He only wanna, He will only come in our life if we ask him to. I hate that. And here's why. Because we put our um, teenage prom illustrations on God. And he's not a gentleman. He's God, okay? He's God. Meaning God does not look at us and go, you're in the house and I'm outside and I'm waiting for you to open the door. Because theologically, what we know to be true about the condition of the human heart, we're in the house, but we're dead. We can't come open the door. We can't say come open the door. So if God in his sovereign love for us decides to kick out the door and come in and give us life, I'm all for it. I'm all for it because he loves us. 
If you continue to live the life that you're living, the destructive past that you're on, if you're continuing to say, I reject God's word, reject God's people, if you are a child of God, he's going to get you either way. Some of the best news that I've heard, it wasn't that encouraging, but it was the best news that I've heard, was um, just before I became a Christian, I had a woman who was sharing the gospel with me, and she says, here's the deal. If you are truly a child of God, you have two options. Either you repent and you believe in Jesus Christ now, and you accept him as your savior, you realize that he's lived the perfect life for you, he's died for your sins, and you run to him. Because God's been trying to get your attention. And I knew it. I knew he had been. And you run to him, be great. Or you can continue to live your life. However, he's going to get you regardless. Only the second way will hurt more. Some of you here have never trusted in Jesus, and God's word's been speaking to you. God's people's been speaking to you. and Your conscience has been speaking to you and experience. You've acted a fool, you've been restless, and the result of it ultimately is God may be, he may be having you in a position where you're saying, what has happened to me? Um, just run to him and believe in him. Or you can continue to run away, but he'll get you regardless because God does not lose the people in whom he loves. Amen? The last thing we see about pride is the remedy. The remedy, the remedy of pride, not just for those who would just be Christians for the first time, but for most of us here who are already Christians. Look, look at Nebuchadnezzar. After the, the seasons happen, after he began um, to, to act like an animal, verse 34 says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay in his hand or say to him, what have you done? What, what, what he says is, what, what happened, I was able to look to the Lord. I was able to look to heaven. More specifically, I was able to look to God, and that changed me. And that doesn't change Nebuchadnezzar. That changes all of us. The remedy for pride is not by trying harder. And the remedy for pride is, is, is not trying not to be prideful because that in itself is prideful because, again, you're trusting in your own works. The remedy is say, I can't. The remedy is say, I, I, I tried and I, have, I can't. But to look to Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have that opportunity, but we do. We can look to Jesus. And not in some abstract way, but worship. That's what Nebuchadnezzar does. I looked to the heaven and I worshiped him. Mind you, he's writing to all nations and to all people. He goes, I'm using my platform, my influence to tell you this is who God is and this is who God does. He will humble you. I, I, I think when it comes to pride, again, when it comes to Christians, we know this by experience. When we're looking to Jesus, when we're worshiping him and making sure that he's Lord over all things, not just our quiet time, not just our prayer time, but the way that we treat our spouses, the way that we treat um, other friends, the way that we do school, the way that we do banking, the way that we do finance, the way that we do art, the way that we do sports. When he's Lord of all those things and we're looking to Jesus, there is a sense, there's no way we could be prideful. There's no way we could look to Jesus and be prideful. Because what is pride? Pride is thinking you're more than what you really are. And you cannot look to Jesus and think that way. In fact, pride tries to elevate yourself, and yet the gospel shows us that when Jesus comes down, he lowers himself. That Jesus goes to the cross willingly and he, and he suffers for us. And, and it's the great reversal. It's the way that we're actually lifted up is by bowing down and worshiping and following him. You see, the way that we're made much of is only by looking to Jesus because in Jesus, God makes much of us. It says that he sings and he dances over us. We understand that true approval, true acceptance comes completely only in Christ Jesus. It doesn't come in what we can do. It doesn't come in what we can't do. 
and we understand the grace of God, and as we look to Jesus, worship Jesus, follow Jesus, obey Jesus, the more and more we become like him, and the more and more we become like Jesus, the more humbled we are and the less prideful we are. Amen? If there's, if there's, a, if there's a warning I would have um, personally for my own life about pride and for us is this. Um, people who are good at things, remember, and who have a lot of blessings as Christians are most likely to be the most prideful people because they forget where those blessings come from. They can have lip service and say they come from the Lord, and yet there's not an expression of worship. I do believe God has blessed us tremendously in so many ways. We have some of the best people I've ever met at this church. We have some of the coolest things that God's doing, some of the greatest stories. Um, God is just doing phenomenal things. It would be like us to worship those things and not worship God. And so my prayer for my own life and for all of us is that are we a good church? Maybe. But let, let's not be known for being a good church or a fun church or a young church, but a church that knows, follows, resembles, and worships Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. First, because you are unbelievably honest with us. And your words are not always sugar-coated. In fact, they're never sugar-coated. But you speak truth in our lives, Father. You give us uh, a glimpse of what our lives could be like apart from you, Lord, and it looks bleak. And yet, Father, if we're being honest back to you, Lord, there, there are so many things in this world that, that, that promise just momentary um, satisfaction, Lord, and we desire those things so often. And so, Lord, we ask right now by your Holy Spirit that you would bring conviction upon us, Lord. I personally pray that for my own self, Lord. And I pray that for the many men and women who are here, Father, that we would heed your call to, to not think that for whatever reason this message is about, it's for someone that we invited or someone at our work or our husband or our wife, but this message is for us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you bring us to our knees that we may repent and receive the grace in which is given to us in Christ Jesus. So as we come to your table, Lord, we pray that we remember Jesus, that we would delight in Jesus, that we'd make much of Jesus. And Father, you would make us as a community, a humble community that serves and loves and worships your son. And that, Father, that we would love you and we would love our neighbor. And that this city would know us, Lord, not for just being the church that gathers in a building, but for the church that works, for the church that serves, for the church that does relationships, Lord, in such a way that is uniquely different because we understand our king and we understand your kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for your words and for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.